Ryan Scantling. I have the privilege of working for you, actually, at the University of Arkansas leading Baptist Collegiate Ministry. I've been up here almost three years, but I've been working for you, uh, Arkansas Baptist, for the last decade or so, uh, serving as a missionary to University of Central Arkansas, the schools in Central Arkansas area, and now uh, at the University of Arkansas. I really do believe this. I believe the university campus is the most strategic mission field on earth. Uh, Where else can you identify that God's brought so many young folks between the ages of 18 to 22 together so that they could hear the good news of Jesus? So you may not recognize, but every Sunday when you give, a portion of that goes to a thing called the Cooperative Program. And the Cooperative Program supports missions and missionaries throughout the world. So when you give, whether it's a dollar, a cent, a hundred dollars, ten dollars, a portion of that, as you vote every, every year at the church, goes to the cooperative program, and it supports missionaries in Cambodia. It supports me on the college campus. It supports church planners all throughout the United States. So I have to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can only do what I do because of the faithful ministry right here at your church. Uh, I actually live just up the road in South Fayetteville, and so, so honored to get to come and hang out with you all, be with you guys. It is a great privilege, a great blessing to be here. Just to tell you a little bit before we dig in, we're going to be in 1 Samuel this morning, chapter 17, if you want to go ahead and head there. But to give you an update what's going on on the college campus, like I said, I've been there three years and God's doing some incredible things. Let me tell you two very quick stories. Um, A couple of weeks back, we did a series on hard topics. Uh, We asked the question, does God have sexual preferences? That's a thing that college students are interested in. They're talking about, they have opinions on it. Um, We handed out cards on campus, invited folks. We do two services at our BCM building. We can only hold about 150 in the room. So we do two services and have about 250 students between them every Monday night at 6.30 and 8.30 p.m. And there was a whole group of students who identified in the LGBTQ community who popped in and said, we're interested in this topic. So I I shared from God's word uh, what God says. And here's the incredible thing. A couple of those students, a couple of those girls made the decision to trust Jesus in the following week and a half. And here, you wouldn't believe it. But when they made the decision to trust Jesus, it started a process of them reconnecting with family who they had distanced themselves from. Started the process of them reengaging in a community. Uh, God's healing does some incredible things. Many of you have experienced it in your life. And I'm just thankful to be able to extend that to college students on campus on your behalf. There's one student that I'm incredibly proud of. In fact, if you were watching the pregame show yesterday, better than the game in my opinion, uh, they interviewed a student named Will Lambley. You can go to our Arkansas BCM Facebook page and you can see Will Lambley. Will Lambley uh, went legally blind his sophomore year of high school. And Will came to the University of Arkansas as a student who had just been blind for a couple of years. But God has used him in an incredible way. He leads several small groups for us. He got featured in uh, pre-game interviews um, on the, the Hog Show uh, this Saturday. So I, I would be encouraged if you would go and look that up and make it happen there. Hey, I'm thankful for your pastor, Dustin. Uh, Dustin's been with you. Has it been a year yet? No. Okay, not, not, you're like, no, <laughs> Dustin, I don't know what that says, that they're saying, no, it's not been a year yet. Um, but man, I'm thankful for Dustin. That's great. I'm thankful for him. He is a graduate at the university, was really involved in BCM. We love Dustin, and are thankful for him investing 
right here. I tell you, you're blessed with a great pastor, a great pastor's family, and they're blessed because you let them go on vacation. Let them do that every once in a while. It's a great refreshment to them. Uh, I so appreciate y'all. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 34. And this is an old, familiar story, but what we're going to talk about this morning is leverage. How do you leverage your life, your church, for everything that God has for you? And we're going to talk specifically about five smooth stones today. The definition of leverage, that's the next slide, is this. The use of something to maximize an advantage. The basketball team started playing, and those basketball players leverage their height so that they can score buckets on their opponents. Football players leverage their strength so that they can overpower people on the line. But what is it that you... Members right here at First Baptist Church Greenland can leverage that God may do something more incredible in your day than ever before. That's what we're talking about this morning is leverage. <coughs> we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 34. There's only going to be one verse on your screen, and I have to warn you ahead of time. I read out of the CSB translation, not because it's any more holy <clears throat> or any more inspired, but because it's translated on an eighth grade reading level, and I grew up in Dardanelle, Arkansas. It just really, really helps me being a boy from Yale County. So thank you so much for that. Before I read, i got to set up the story for you. There's a battle raging in the land of Israel. The Israelites and the Philistines are hard at it. The Israelites are fighting for their country. They're fighting to take God's land from the evil Philistines. We just celebrated Veterans Day recently. Do we have any veterans in the room? If you're a veteran in the room, would you please stand so we can honor and recognize you? Yeah, thank you so much for serving. I so appreciate that. Okay, a couple more veterans in the room. Thank you so, so much. Man, we are so incredibly thankful for you all and your service to this country. We are blessed to live in the United States of America, and so much of that is because of your all's sacrifice. There's a battle raging in the land of Israel. The Israelites and Philistines have been at it for quite some time, and now it has reached a fever pitch, such to the point that the armies are lined up across a ravine from one another. The Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other, and there's a giant nine foot nine inches tall Goliath who goes to the front of the battle lines. Neither of the armies is willing to make the first move because of this situation. If they were to make the first move, it would require them to go down into the ravine and then fight the opposing force uphill. That's no good in war. Whoever is fighting uphill has a disadvantage. And so neither of them will make the first move. The giant goes forward and he calls out to the Israelites, you send your best and I'm the best of the Philistines and we're going to duke it out. Whoever wins is the winner of all. If we win... You Israelites will submit yourself to us in slavery. But if we win, or if you win, we Philistines will submit ourselves to you in slavery. Now, a few months before this, perhaps even years before this, Saul, who is the king of the Israelites currently, has had some issues. You see, he started off following well after God, but over the course of time, he has decided to do things his own way. And so Samuel, the prophet of the day, goes and he searches for the next king that God will anoint. He goes to the household of Jesse and he finds a young boy named David. He's the youngest of the lot. In fact, he's not even presented as a potential suitor to be king. And so Samuel goes one by one down the list of Jesse's boys and he says, no, it's not this one, not this one. Surely there's somebody else. He brings David out from the shepherd's pen and he says, well, this is my youngest son. What do you think of him? 
He says, this is to be the king. It's interesting, over the next several months and years, David actually gets a job working for the king, playing the harp. He's not a conscripted soldier. And so when this instance goes down, it's an incredible moment that changes the scope of history. It says in verse 34, David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. This is 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. Whenever a lion or bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. You see, David had been ordered by his father to go and give his other brothers who were in the army supplies. As he walks up, he hears the giant letting out his call, and he says, what's to be done for the person that conquers this giant? David hears that this person who conquers the giant will get to marry the king's wife, live a tax-free life, that's a pretty good deal. But more so than that, that he will be glorifying God to a high extent. And so David says, I am up to the task. And so this man, who's not even trained in the ways of the army, approaches the king, Saul. He says in verse 35, I went after those lions, struck it down, rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears, this uncircumcised Philistine, will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Verse 38, Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. Now, let's be honest. Some of us in this room would love to be described as youthful, healthy, and handsome. I mean, can I get a witness like that? That's something all of us would want to be described as. But do you remember the fights in middle school or high school that would break out? I mean, they would happen. It happened when I was in high school and middle school and when you were in high school and middle school. There were fights. And whether it was girl fights or guy fights, there were fights. And there was always a moment before the first punch was thrown. Do you remember that? It was the smack-talking moment. It was the moment where they just let off on one another verbally. This is that moment for David and Goliath. He sees that David's just a youth, healthy and handsome, and it is not a nice thing to say. What he's saying is, you look too pretty to be a soldier. There's not dirt under your nails. You look too well kept. Your hair is flowing too nicely behind you. You are too bathed to be a soldier. And then he said to David, now this is the smack talk section, Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. You get that? He says gods, plural. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. Did you notice that? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. David said, I come against you in the name of God. Singular. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky, the wild creatures of the earth, and all the world will know 
that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Let's pray. God, we love you and we trust you. And we believe, Lord Jesus, that you have a word for us today. <clears throat> so would you speak it, Lord? We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Talking about leverage, um, there's three principles of leverage that I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, they're going to be on the screen. Number one is this, God uses who you are. Now, did you notice this? David was an unlikely hero in this story. He hadn't been trained in the ways of the military. He wasn't a conscripted soldier, yet he's the one who volunteers. And in the same way, God uses exactly who you are whether it's impressive or not, whether you have a resume of killing lions, tigers, and bears in the forest, or you don't, God uses who you are. There are some among us who think, God could never possibly use me because I can't talk like that guy. I can't lead like this person. I don't have the gifts and abilities of that person. But let me tell you this promise. God longs to use you exactly as you are. He's given you the gifts, the abilities, the, the makeup that He has pressed into you so that He can leverage everything you have for His glory. But it's not just that. God uses not only who you are, God uses what you have. I hear it from lots of churches. There are over 1,560 churches in the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. Each of them worship in 16 different languages on Sunday mornings. Did you know that? There's English spoken in many of our churches. There's Mandarin Chinese in some. There's Spanish in some. And you could add a 17th language if you go back to my neck of the woods where we speak redneck in Yale County, Arkansas. 16 languages, 1,500-something churches. And God has uniquely called them to do specific things to reach and impact their community, to leverage who they are, who God's called them to be, so that He can use them to reach and impact their community, whereas He can't use anything else some churches say things like this, if only we had a better building, a better facility, more money in the bank, better vans with better wheels, then we could do something to reach this town. But what about this? What if God's given you exactly what you need to reach exactly who He's called you to reach? Did you notice in this text it says, after David answered the call of Goliath, Saul had his own military clothes put on him. You can find this in verse 38. It says he put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said. I'm not used to them. There are some of you that have spent so long pretending to be somebody else that you've been completely ineffective for what God wants you to be. You can't be used by God pretending to be somebody else. He wants to use you exactly as you are. The same thing applies to this church. God wants to use this church exactly as He's blessed you, exactly as He's made you, quirks and all. Can I tell you, some of us have some weird families. We have some cousins, some aunts, some uncles that when we go to Thanksgiving, we're a little bit embarrassed by. Every church is kind of the same. Every church has those crazy aunts, those weird uncles, the cool cousins. But God puts us together so that He can use us in a significant way. God uses exactly who you are, and He uses exactly <clears throat> what you have. Did you notice this? The military men tried putting the soldier's clothes on David, but he wasn't used to them. He couldn't walk in them. So what does he do? It says here, 
that he grabs the most unlikely things. David said to Saul, I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in a shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So David had a staff, a slingshot, five smooth stones, and a satchel that he kept them in. Can I tell you the least intimidating thing about a person in a street fight? If somebody were walking up to me and about to to duke it out in the streets, there would be one thing that I would be unintimidated by, a fanny pack. And that's what David's wearing. He's got a satchel filled with five smooth stones and a slingshot. Now, don't lie to me. If somebody walked up to you trying to fight you and they had a fanny pack around their waist, you would laugh at them. It would be a laughable situation, but here's the thing. God used exactly who David was and exactly what David had. Now, there's two things that we've talked about. God uses who you are. God uses what you have. But here's the third principle, that when God's trying to leverage you for His glory, for His purposes, for His plans, it's got to be all about Him. The third thing is God gets the glory. David didn't answer this call just because he would get to marry the king's daughter. She may have been cute, but that wasn't the ultimate reason. Even though the tax perks were nice, that's not the reason David ultimately answered this call. It was because there was a man out there who was defying God's name. And he knew that if the nation of Israel fell to the Philistines, it would be an embarrassment to the people of God and to God himself. And so David rose up. Why? so that God would get the glory. I wonder this about you. Are you motivated by a higher purpose, by something more significant? Because you know that God has bigger plans in Greenland, Arkansas, than what he's currently up to. Because you know that God has a purpose for each of those kids in that high school down the street. Because you know that God desires to save the entirety of Washington County. Does that so motivate you that it would cause you to leverage all of your life, everything you have, so that more people would hear about the good news of Jesus? David was perturbed. You see, this Philistine had yelled time and time again, day after day, hour by hour, cursing the name and the people of God. And he had had enough. David had not heard it nearly as much as the soldiers who had been around, but David heard it once too many times. And he was about to do something. But let me tell you this. In each of our lives, there are things that can kill leverage. I believe this foundationally. I believe that God longs to use you for far more than you could ever plan or anticipate for yourself. But there are three things in each of our lives personally, in each of our churches, that threaten to kill leverage. It's this. The first one is pride. What was it that kept every other Israelite soldier on the sidelines? Now, we could come up with all sorts of things. Perhaps it was fear. They feared that nine-foot, nine-inch-tall Goliath. And that would be logical. But I would say this. At the bottom of every other thing we could ascribe it to, it was pride that kept them on the sidelines. And it's pride that will keep us from doing it. These men would have thought things like this. I can't go. Because if I fail then all of our people will be submitted to slavery. Now, who am I to represent the nation of Israel in this fight? 
And they failed to believe that God could do something among them that only He could do. You see, for many of you, it's pride that will keep you from doing the hard thing it takes to reach the high school. It's pride that will keep you from speaking up and saying, I volunteer to lead that Sunday school class that nobody else is going to do. Pride kills leverage. And I want to say it this way. Most of the time our pride operates like this. It's a fear of embarrassment, a fear of failure. And I can understand that. Some of us are so fearful to embarrass ourselves, to try to use gifts that we don't quite know that we have, that we say, I don't want to be the person that messes it up. Can you imagine the jeers and the sneers that would have come from the Israelite army as David begins marching forward to fight Goliath? It doesn't record it here in Scripture, but we know that it happened. Right? David, this untrained man, goes out to fight Goliath, and can you imagine what everybody else begins to say? Wait, where's his armor? Why doesn't he have a spear in his hand? Where's his sword? Who is this guy to go and fight that giant? You see, to go and answer God's call means you remove pride. You're not concerned with what everybody else says about you. You're only concerned with glorifying God. There are three things that kill leverage. Pride is one of them. But also, and this may seem really interesting to you, poor planning is also one. You see, some of us have the greatest intentions, yet we don't plan to do what God's called us to do. And it takes planning. It takes having vision to see 5, 10, 15 years down the road. It takes planning now so that you plant things that you'll never see the fruit of. It takes planning now so that children in this community 40 years down the road can have a church that has a gospel witness that will proclaim to them that Jesus is the only hope of salvation. You see, there are three things that kill leverage. It's not just pride, it's poor planning. Some people, would you believe it, have criticized David in this story. When he goes to that wadi and he picks up not one or two or three or four, but five smooth stones... Some people have been audacious enough to say that David didn't have faith in God. If he had had faith, he would have only grabbed one smooth stone. That's all it would take to put a giant on his knees. Why did he take five? Have you ever asked that question? Isn't it weird that he would pick up five smooth stones? A couple years back, one of my college students brought me a rock and put it on my desk. I smirked because I can get a rock anywhere in anybody's yard. I didn't need him to bring me one. But he plopped it on my desk, and he says, Ryan, I got you a gift. It's incredible. I said, what's that? He said, well, I was in Israel this summer, and I picked up a rock from the place where they think that David would have gotten the five smooth stones. And he said, so this is one of them that he didn't choose. I said, okay, that is kind of special. And there's something impressive about this rock. It is incredibly smooth. It's just like a rock that you could get in the creek down the street. It's been washed over time and time again, and it is smooth. Can I tell you, if I was fighting a giant, I would probably not get smooth stones. I would get gnarly rocks with nails and and shards of glass in it. That way, if I missed the slingshot, I could at least pound that thing into his ankle. Like, I would get some gnarly rock, but David got five smooth stones. Did you know this? David knew something that a lot of us have forgotten. This giant 
had four children. In fact, it talks about it in 2 Samuel 21, 18 through 22, if you want to go and read that later. This giant, Goliath, had four children that he had raised up to hate God and his people with the same vitriol that he hated God and his people. So when David goes across that ravine and scoops into the wadi, he picks up not just one smooth stone, he picks up five. As if to say, Goliath, I'm taking you down, and I'm taking down your prodigy, who you've raised to hate and defy God. Now, it was years, decades, before David had the opportunity to see those other giants dead. But it happened, because right then he resolved that it would. There are some of you that God's calling you to things that are so big that the plans are scary. He's calling you to reach this community, Greenland. And if we're honest, it's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of work. And it's an intimidating thought. But God's called you to lay aside your pride and to reject poor planning. I'm telling you, the things that are ahead for a church like First Baptist Greenland are pretty exciting. There's a community that is growing right outside your door. You don't have to work to find lost people who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus. They're coming right to you. What if God wants to use you to impact the world through your doorsteps right here? It could happen, but it means that you have to reject some of these things that could kill leverage in your life. You have to reject pride. You have to reject poor planning. And third, and this may be the most important, you have to reject pessimism. Pessimism is that thing that says, woe is me. Pessimism kicks the rocks instead of picking up the smooth stones. Pessimism is that thing that doubts that God could do anything. There are three things that kill leverage. Pride, poor planning, but also pessimism. And if you're like me, you've probably heard the voice of some pessimists in your life. Pessimists are the ones who choose to believe that God can't possibly do anything significant anymore. Maybe the glory days are behind us and there's nothing good ahead. The pessimist refuses to believe that God has a future for them or for anybody else. And let me tell you this, it is so easy to be pessimistic in our world. Our world is tough. It's broken. It's distorted. There are more problems today than maybe there have ever been. Can I tell you? The Israelite army was full of pessimists. How do I know that? Because none of them chose to believe that God could do anything. Instead, they just sat and waited and waited. Now, God ultimately did do something. He ultimately provided David an incredible thing. Can I tell you the one of the most discouraging things that happens in the lives of college students who make the decision to trust Jesus? They're just like you when you make the decision to trust Jesus. They've still got their issues. They've still got their sins that they're struggling with. And in fact, we all still do. When a college student makes a decision to trust Jesus, and we see dozens and dozens every semester make that decision, they come with a lot of baggage. They come from broken households. They don't know how to love. They don't know how to serve in a church. And can I tell you one of the discouraging things that I have the privilege of coaching students through a lot of times? 
There will oftentimes be a pessimist in their life who will choose to pour cold water on the fire that God is burning in their heart and their life. It's heartbreaking, really. And in fact, for some of you, that's probably happened. You've had a fire, a passion that God has stirred in your heart, and somewhere over the course of time, somebody has taken a big gallon of cold water and just poured at the top of that. Can I apologize on behalf of Christians everywhere for that in your life? Let me tell you something about new believers. They bring a fire and a passion into our churches that is often unbridled. They need somebody to come alongside them and disciple them because they'll do dumb things a lot of times. They need somebody to guide them, to mentor them. You want, you want me to tell you something about the university campus that a lot of folks don't know? Time and time again, the university uses a statistic to keep recruiting students to come to school. They share the student-to-faculty ratio. Now, the student-to-faculty ratio is not very good at the University of Arkansas. It's something like one faculty member to 30-something students, but they still put that in their promotional material. You know why? Because every student in this generation wants somebody older to walk alongside them, to mentor them, to talk to them about life, how to live it, because they recognize they don't have it all figured out. When I think about churches in our region, when I think about what God's doing, I think that maybe you're the most strategic group in all the world. Why? Because you have a voice to speak into the lives of young people so that God can still do incredible things with them and through them. There are three things that kill leverage. Pride, poor planning, and pessimism. And let's be honest. It's all of our temptation when the challenge comes, when God begins to lay things on our heart, to be pessimistic, to think, God could never use me for something like that. God could never use us for something like that. That task seems too big. That question seems too great. There are a lot of difficulties, a lot of mounting issues. And let me tell you, all of us are pessimistic by nature. But we have a reason to be optimistic. You see, in this story, a lot of us want to be David. We want to be the one who picks up the five smooth stones, put them in our satchel, goes and tackles Goliath. But let me give you this promise. Ain't none of us David. We all tend to be the Israelite army, shaking in our boots on the sideline, too afraid to act, too afraid to move. We let pride keep us in our seats. We let poor planning keep us from being effective. And we let pessimism grind us down. But here's the good news. Just as God provided David for the people in 1 Samuel 17, so today he provided Jesus. Jesus who went out to the front of the battle lines just as David did. Jesus who stared down the biggest foe of them all, death and hell. Jesus who went and tackled that foe like nobody else could. Just as David went and slain Goliath with a stone to the forehead, so Jesus rolled away the stone of death over the tomb and burst forth victoriously. Just as David, after he slain Goliath, stuck his foot upon his neck, cut off his head, and showed it to the Israelite fighting forces, saying, We have won. Victory is ours. So Jesus rose again over death, as if to say, victory 
is ours. We have won. Death has been defeated. You are going to be ushered into a heaven where there are no more tears, no more sorrow. Just as David would soon lead the Israelites to conquer the land that God had given them, so Jesus came to lead us forward in God's plans, His purposes, and desires. The reason we can reject pride and poor planning and pessimism, the reason we can be optimistic is because we have a Jesus who came and lived a life that we could never live, who died the death that each and every one of us deserve. We have a Jesus who didn't stay dead. No, He rose again, proving that if you would trust in Him, you could have a new faith, a new life. There are some of you today who maybe you need to make the decision to trust in Jesus. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord for the very first time. Can I tell you, it's this easy. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, the Bible gives you a promise. You will be saved. Saved from what, some people ask me? Saved from a life without hope, a life without purpose. Saved from an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. You will be saved if today you make the decision to trust Jesus. Maybe during this time of invitation, you need to make a decision to trust Jesus. But maybe during this time of decision, you've already made that decision to trust Jesus. And you say, Ryan, but i got to be honest. I struggle with pride. I struggle with poor planning. I struggle with pessimism. Maybe today you can just be honest with the Lord about it. You can say, God, I do struggle with this, but I want you to lead me, to leverage my life to count for something significant so that you can use me in more ways than I would have ever fathomed before. Let's pray. The altars are open. I'll be right here to meet you if you want to make a decision today to trust Jesus. If you want to pray about how God can leverage your life, you can feel free to come forward. God would honor your faithfulness in that. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we trust you and we love you. And we pray that you would continue to use the people of this church, First Baptist Greenland. (coughs) I pray right now for those who need to make the decision to trust you as Savior and Lord, that you would give them boldness to step forward and come receive you. In Jesus' name, amen.